0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. As the Russia-Ukraine war marks its second month, there are various implications for countries outside the immediate vicinity of these combatants. In the Middle East, governments and militaries are watching the events and try to elicit early lessons, especially those that can be implemented locally and regionally, professional insights regarding the focuses and forces as well as methods used, diplomatic practices by Presidents Putin and Zelensky, other leaders and international organizations, and moral and societal trends, of course, emerging from the conflict. Joining us to deliberate today's topic from Washington, D.C. is retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is the former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Also joining us uh, here elsewhere in Israel, Central Israel to be exact, is Brigadier General in Reserve Doron Gavish, who is the former Air Defense Chief at the Israel Air Force. Thank you for joining us as well, General. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 editor at large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more. Mr. Amir Oren, Amir, give us a broader understanding on the first or the initial lessons learned from the current state of affairs in in the Russian-Ukraine conflict.
0: So there are two uh, basic difficulties in trying uh, to uh, learn the lessons and then uh, apply them. One uh, is that, of course, the conflict is uh, ongoing, and uh, there is a difference between tactical lessons, operational, and strategic. And uh, the relationship between these uh, three levels is not always uh, intuitive. Uh, The Russians, for instance, uh, may have failed tactically, at least um, in relation to their expectations. But uh, this does not mean that they will have failed strategically when it is uh, all over. And the other difficulty is to try and relate uh, whatever happens um, between Russia and Ukraine to the Middle East. But just uh, uh, to tick off uh, one or two obviously, uh, Putin has shown that he is determined to change the status quo. Perhaps he is bored. Uh, It's been 22 years since he uh, was first appointed prime minister, then elected president, and maybe uh, he is approaching um, 70. Maybe he thinks that um, it doesn't really uh, matter whether he is in office uh, another two years, five years, ten years, if he doesn't do something for um, Mother Russia uh, and to change, um, to to leave some, some legacy. And he is obviously determined uh, to win this uh, round uh, no matter uh, what. Now, tactically, of course, there are lessons. But um, one should uh, uh, note, and this is based on on conversations with uh, current leaders of the Israeli Defense Forces, the importance of connectivity in the digital age. You know, there are some ground forces generals here in Israel, especially one retired major general, who is always uh, uh, criticizing the military for uh, emphasizing too much the Air Force and intelligence. Uh, And he says that this is uh, to the uh, detriment of the ground forces. But it turns out that if you invade a country, you don't only go on a raid, Five ten miles um, into the uh, other guy's territory and back, but if you go uh, dozens and hundreds of miles and you lose connectivity with your headquarters, you get lost. And this is apparently what happened uh, to the Russians on the on the road to Kiev.
1: Indeed, General Kimmett, your take for uh, first uh, lessons learned?
2: Yeah, I I would like to sort of follow up on this issue about. Uh, the first battle that is going on, I think it's a little hard to say success or failure on the part of the Russians. Uh, Tactically, it has been a failure up to this point, of course. But operationally, I would say that you've got to have the perspective that the idea was to, in fact, as Putin said, conduct a special military operation, which was a fast movement down the road from Belarusia, get into Kiev turn over the government, and then get out. Uh, Unfortunately, what he has been drug into is option B, plan B. When plan A, the uh, fast move into Kiev, special military operation didn't work. The planners now have him working the old-style siege warfare, where you surround the city, you shell the city, you starve the city, and eventually you storm the city if he doesn't surrender. So plan A didn't seem to work, but now they're working on plan B. So I think uh, it shows flexibility at the operational level, but they do have still some tactical problems down at the unit level. And I think that's what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, That may be why they're now depending on artillery, rocket, missiles instead of maneuver, but uh, time will tell. At this point, people are talking about stalemate, I don't see it as a stalemate at all. The Russians still have the initiative, uh, and while the Ukrainians are giving a brave and solid defense, uh, in many ways, I think it's only a matter of time uh, before the Russians finally overwhelm the Ukrainian forces. General Gavish,
3: well, I, I would uh, echo this point, and uh, and, may, and maybe I think that Amir was uh, was right by, you know, dividing it between. Uh, the, the strategic level, operational level, and, and the tactic level. Um, I think that it's a bit early, really, to, to say what is uh, where are we at and what is exactly happening. Uh, time, time will tell. Uh, but if I look at it from the Air Force, uh, let's say, uh, point of view, I think it's, a, it's a really a question mark. If uh, Putin or the, the Russians uh, really decided to to go with with the full uh, capabilities that they have, it seems that they are still trying to find the right balance and how to uh, how to uh, what would be the right balance between ground forces, air forces, siege going in, or what would be the right way to really to conduct their uh, their fight. So I think that uh, as it was uh, mentioned before, may- maybe they had some ideas that. Uh, Things would take less time than what is really happening. Um, But I still think that um, they are kind of uh, trying to to find out what is the right strategy from from the military uh, point of view. And and, and this is what we are seeing, I think, uh, them trying to, to find the right balance from their point of view.
1: Indeed. Uh, Mr. Owen, one of the points that were also remarked in previous productions where we uh, discussed this topic was the fact of the matter is that the Russians have conducted a strategic stop rather than uh, found themselves uh, stuck in a certain situation. And as General Kimmett really mentioned, plan B, uh, it is apparent from the maneuvering on the ground, uh, less maneuvering, but positioning and of course the follow up of logistical units uh, to accommodate uh, the various tactics at hand. Uh, To what degree do you see this now uh, being studied by militaries here in the region who do contend uh, with uh, Russia on on one border or another and are in need of a clear understanding of what this may imply to future developments may they occur or even uh, draw from, from the current crisis?
0: So Jonathan, I know that um, when you are late, uh, uh, and your wife, Mayan, who is a producer on this show, uh, is angry at you, you tell her, I'm not uh, being late. It's only a strategic pause. So um, as as a pretext, of course, militaries will always tell you, no, no, it's according to plan. Uh, We, uh, uh, in fact, planned it uh, this way. But um, you know, Mark Kimmich's uh, brother, Robert, used to work with Jim Baker. And um, once uh, I interviewed uh, Baker uh, when he was Secretary of the Treasury, before he was uh, Secretary of State. And uh, he recounted an advice which he had from uh, his own father. Um, uh, And that uh, advice was all peace. Uh, He said, uh, prior preparedness prevents pernicious projects. So apparently, the uh, Russians did not uh, plan it very well. But then again, you have to break it down to three other P's. Putin, the Polkovnik, or Colonel, the mid-level officer, and the private soldier. And apparently, uh, the uh, private soldier and the NCO, the sergeant or, or the corporal, are not very motivated. And if they are somewhat motivated, They have not been very well trained. So their commanders are almost helpless. Um, Putin's strategic directive, as translated by the forces on the ground, uh, leave a lot uh, to be improved on professionally, of course. One may may, uh, wish them not to be there at all and not to improve. But if you look at it professionally, there's a lot uh, to work on.
1: With that being said, of course, the, the primary and most uh, trained forces uh, that Russia has in its uh, on, at its disposal uh, are not being utilized currently in Ukraine and are at standby in order to uh, provide them room to maneuver. Uh, General Kimmich, when, when we're looking at the current state of play, of course, uh, the United States has had uh, just uh, recently, in 2018, uh, encountered uh, specifically Wagner, but uh, most of them are ex-military uh, uh, from, uh, from Russia, uh, during which it was uh, an equation of 10 to 1, uh, with uh, the Russians having uh, the upper hand in the quantities of troops, but ultimately it, it happened to be a massacre on the ground, uh, rendering uh, this uh, uh, questionable uh, situation in which the Russians, uh, quite frankly, uh, succumbed. To uh, American superiority, why do we not see a certain intervention or involvement, uh, more proactively speaking, uh, from NATO member states uh, regarding uh, the support initially granted, uh, which is primarily only with tools of defensive warfare?
2: Well, I think uh, it has to go back into the political and and to continue to quote great uh, military thinkers. Clausewitz always said that war is an extension of politics by other means. The politics involved in this in many ways has to do with the Biden administration. As contrasted with the last administration, remember, one of the fundamentals of Biden's campaign was to bring the alliance back together, that America is back number one. And number two, Biden of himself is not a hawk. He's, he's far more con, uh, comfortable with consensus building. So as a result, uh, NATO is his primary vehicle to going through and uh, conducting this entire war. Uh, to try to get consensus at 30, as you know, is always very, very difficult. So I think that we've had to adjust in some ways to the lowest common denominator to keep the alliance together, which means that we'll provide everything that Zelensky asks for with the exception of a no-fly zone and with the exception of the MiGs. So I think that uh, you can't uh, fault NATO. In fact, you've got to compliment NATO for what it has provided thus far, uh, even though it hasn't provided some items which are said to be critical militarily, I would question that criticality. But uh, candidly, in terms of keeping the political alliance together, uh, I've got to take my hat off to the Biden administration. And the fact that President Biden is heading back to NATO this weekend, probably to stiffen their spine for a longer campaign uh, as a strategic objective that was put out by Biden himself, which is, we will do this as NATO and not unilaterally as America. I think that was, in his mind, the right politics to engage in, in order to conduct this military operation.
1: Indeed, uh, however, when we're looking specifically at Israel, Israel does not provide uh, uh, military support currently to Ukraine, despite its uh, request uh, or repeated requests and even criticism thereof. General Gavish, uh, the Iron Dome, which you have uh, integrated into the IDF uh, uh, several years back, uh, has uh, been uh, the the key discussion of uh, Ukrainians when they're talking about uh, Israeli military support. Is this something that could ever be on, on the table, considering the fact that Russia happens to be Israel's northern neighbor?
3: Well, you know, first of all, Israel is not yet uh, part of uh, of NATO. We were talking about it uh, for a long time, but, uh, but Israel really is not part of uh, of NATO. Uh, so, um, so I think that uh, I would say it is a, it is an important question to see uh, how NATO behaves toward this um, um, situation. Uh, do they apply forces into Ukraine, or is it only supporting by by means and and that and and so i think this is something that of course we we should look at even before uh, our own uh, decisions and now it's not so easy if i'm talking from the operational uh, point of view it is not uh, so easy to uh, apply or or deploy a system to a a war zone and and to do it uh, immediately and this is something that uh, takes time Uh, you need to Uh, you you need to not only deploy it, you need the forces that are being able to operate it. And this is something that really takes time. Uh, You don't just give a system and and go and do with it something. So I think that, you know, from a professional point of view, when you look at it, it, I don't think that it's something doable. I mean, really, if we're talking about uh, the the next couple of uh, even even, uh, months, unless Israeli soldiers will come and will fight in, in the, in
0: the Ukraine and uh, and I think that uh, we're, we're not there yet. Indeed Mr. Owen. Um, the question here is um, whose side is time on? Uh, who is uh, uh, going to uh, make better use of the uh, next uh, several weeks or even months as General Gavish uh, said. And unfortunately it seems that um, Russia has more stamina and uh, can withstand the uh, costs of uh, attrition warfare better than the Ukrainian civilians, who already, of course, have been displaced with millions uh, being refugees outside of the Ukraine, the uh, urban infrastructure being uh, uh, destroyed gradually, the economy, and no prospect of real outside intervention. By now, even Zelensky understands that uh, however magnificent his uh, public uh, performances have been, they have not managed to pull any levers uh, in getting uh, more assistance and definitely not more uh, intervention uh, into Ukraine. He has been isolated, uh, which is why he is begging for diplomacy. But even diplomacy will not change Putin's war aims. So uh, if time goes on, and there are more casualties and more suffering. Putin will gain and Zelensky will lose.
1: Well, General Kimmett earlier uh, quoted General Klaus Naumann, who happens to be also a co-panelist on uh, one of our programs, TV7 Europa Stands. But I'd like to ask you, General Kimmett, another quote that may uh, be out there, at least in Russia. They used to quote this over and over again. uh, When diplomats stop talking, guns start blazing. Or when one Sergei stops talking, the other Sergei starts acting. uh, Something that uh, seems to be uh, in a uh, contentious uh, uh, state of play currently in light of the fact that one keeps talking and the other keeps firing. Uh, but at this stage, do you see this being translated to other areas uh, in the Middle East, in other areas where Russia is playing an active role, even though there are discussions currently about a uh, partial Uh, drawback from Syria by the Russian military in which they would like to see some of its proxies being diverted uh, To the Ukraine arena.
2: Yeah, first of all, let me agree uh, with uh, Mr. Warren the fact that uh, One keeps talking and the other doesn't do anything. It's important to recognize that Zelensky continues to moderate his demands he's gone from you for lack of a better term to the Russians uh, then to uh, I need to talk to Putin directly. Then it's I will not join NATO. Uh, now it's I need to have peace negotiations. And he continues to lower that bar until the point where uh, uh, he doesn't have any lower to set the bar. And Putin says nothing back in return. What's the implication for the region? Well, I, again, I think that a lot has to do with the position that the Biden administration has found itself in, which is verbally and the predecessor Trump administration saying in so many words, uh, we need to focus elsewhere. We need to move out and focus on China. The Middle East um, can take care of itself. And I think that has resonated with the Gulf leaders to the point where, since they don't believe they can rely on the Americans to be their, to be their, uh, quasi-alliance, uh, if in, not in name or in, uh, by law the way that NATO alliance is, but they felt that they could always trust the Americans to be there. And, and when the Americans start signaling that they won't be there, then naturally the uh, countries in the region are going to try to straddle the fence because they don't know uh, five years from now who's going to be the, produ- the dominant actor in the region. So the lack of assistance and the lack of support and the lack of uh, standing behind the NATO alliance uh, in condemning Russia, to my mind, seems somewhat understandable. General Gavish?
3: But I think this is, uh, Jonathan, the, the, the question that you just raised. It's a huge question, of course, for us uh, living here in the, in the Middle East. And, and I think that we... we we could already see some applications and some of them, it's, it's a question mark that how things would uh, evolve, but uh, for sure already some economical applications that that uh, could be inf- influencing the regions, some uh, strategic uh, security uh, issues and, and some di- diplomatic issues uh, that you should ask yourself, how much do I really rely on all kinds of uh, diplomatical agreements? So. I think you know we could uh, touch a few points uh, from again Middle East point of view on, on those three issues on on the diplomatic side. You know there is now the agreement uh, with with Iran and and so on. But we all should remember that uh, there was an agreement in uh, 1994. It was U.S., U.K., uh, Ukraine, Russia. Uh, the decision that uh, all the nuclear uh, weapons uh, would go to Russia. I think it was called the Budapest uh, agreement, and, and there were some guarantees uh, to defend uh, Ukraine. We don't really see it happening, at least at, at this point that uh, Ukraine is really being defended from a military point of view or military intervention. So I think this would be probably one of the questions that uh, countries in this region would ask themselves. Uh, okay, we have all kind of agreement, but could we really look at them at something that uh, This is the future that is, you know, that we we are looking at. So this is, I think that's the second point from the strategic point of view. A lot of countries probably in the Middle East, and I would echo what was said before by General Kimi, would ask themselves, okay, if we are not going, if if there is not going to be a help or military help, So what do we do? I think that would bring countries uh, to do one of the two. Uh, First of all, to understand that they need to arm themselves because we need to take care of ourselves. And the other thing which is interesting, and maybe there is some opportunity that comes out of it, is that uh, the countries in the Middle East, uh, also by the way, Israel is part of it, will try to uh, find all all kinds of alliance among themselves. And see, okay, uh, we we understand that at least in our region, that one of the main stories is Iran, and if something would happen with them, so maybe we should uh, do some things uh, together. So of course, uh, United States is, is always there, but we should also do it uh, something among ourselves, and this is a thing also an outcome that uh, might. Uh, Come if we're looking on the situation that uh, we are uh, now at uh, in Ukraine. Ukraine, of the, of, or if they would look at it, in in the short term, I think it's a big question what would happen uh, with Iran, uh, with the agreement uh, that is now uh, being discussed uh, with Iran. The world is occupied with uh, uh, with the, with Ukraine, uh, so would it be, uh, uh, what would be the application on this agreement from, from, of course, from Israel's point of view, we're very concerned. We're not the only one in the region that uh, that we are concerned. And uh, so there are all kinds of application uh, looking uh, looking from from this uh, uh, point of view. And and again, uh, from from the economical uh, point of view, this is also a question, what would happen uh, with the uh, you know all kind of uh, uh, means that uh, uh, that countries uh, would get from uh, Russia. Uh, of course it's oil, it's gas and uh, weed. Uh, we know that uh, for uh, for Turkey, for Saudi, for Egypt, this is something uh, with a huge importance and uh, we we also remembered that the, the Arabic Spring in 2011 mm-hmm. started. Uh, from from this point, so there, there might be a lot of applications all the, on all those three, I would say, uh, spheres, and uh, and and once again, we'll see what would happen. But but there are there are some things that uh, I think that countries are looking at now.
1: Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to give each and every one of you a closing sentence, and please uh, adhere to that sentence, Mr. Owen. We'll start with you.
0: Well, the irony is that there is no interface, uh, or little or no interface between the Russia-Ukraine crisis and the Middle East, except perhaps uh, for Turkey. But if there is now um, a renewed focus on Europe, it will again degrade from the attention to the Middle East. General Kimen.:
2: if the, if the Russians win in Ukraine, uh, they will find themselves in the position of the dog that caught the bus. What do you do now? I think the next phase of the war will be intense partisan warfare against the Russians, much like the Russians faced in Afghanistan in the 80s. And uh, so we shouldn't think that the war that is being fought in Ukraine right now will end when Zelensky surrenders. General Gavish?
3: I think that the situation, uh, once again, we have to be very careful with, with what we are saying yet because we are not at the end of it. Uh, but uh, it brings with it some uh, risks uh, to the Middle East and, and in a way, some uh, some opportunities uh, for the countries in this uh, region. Indeed.
1: Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank General Kimmet, General Gavish, as well as Mr. Oren for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time.